Welcome to Interplay. This is Michael Shapiro, your host, with my special guest today, straight from Berlin, Germany, the American conductor and my close friend, Garrett Keist. Hi, Garrett. Hey, Michael. Great to see you, man. Great to see you, too. Well, thank you for joining Interplay and this conversation, which is a bit different than the others we've had so far. The difference is I'm speaking to somebody who is in Germany, who is now living his life uh, as a conductor to a large extent, particularly now with his family and in Germany. You live in Berlin, don't you? Yeah, of course. And your travels before this COVID uh, pandemic hit was really all over the globe. You've been, I know, uh, from Sapporo, Japan, down to South America, in Texas, in various areas in the United States, and a lot in Europe, from Finland to Italy to Spain, France, and elsewhere. I know you've been at the Paris Opera and the, uh, I think the Staatsoper in in Vienna, am I wrong? Or the uh, Hofburg? Yeah, what's sure. It, what's, it, what's it called these days? And Hamburg. The Wiener Staatsoper, sure. Wiener Staatsoper, the, Hof, the, the, op, the ballet in Hamburg, ballet in Finland, so many different places. So for a Texas boy, if I may call you that young man, how are you finding this transition? It's more than a few years. Well, it's, yeah, thank you. Well, it's great to see you, Michael. Um, it's, you know, it's amazing now. I guess we, we somehow made it through the transition. I, I, you know, it always feels like, a, you're right, though, in a way, it always feels like a transition. Um, we've been here eight years now. Oh, Our two little boys long. were born here. It's kind of amazing. Um, and uh, it was a big transition from, well, you know, it wasn't a transition from Texas, I must say. But you know that, of course, because we met in New York. And I was That's in New York right. City for 11 years before here, where I really began my career. But but, uh, but I, I understand the story is a little more interesting from Texas, of course. And um, you're only 29 years old, so it's amazing how early you started. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I, I, we, we came over here when I was 21, and we came, I came to, right. started conducting in New York City when I was 10. I, I know. I was there. It's amazing. <laughs> so... I just want to know something from you. Um, you have not gone the, the quotes, now traditional route of being an assistant conductor with a major orchestra in the States. Rather, you went to Europe and worked in the system, as it were, the ballet companies, the opera companies, the symphonic comp uh, orchestras, the radio orchestras. You've done it all over there. And uh, can you talk about the contrast? I'm just curious about that. Ah, yeah, well... I mean, that's what's been so great about working in Europe and being, being especially being based in, in Germany, because I began my, my first, my career here in, in Europe at both at the Paris Opera, where I was an assistant on several projects and then was given my own performances. But then that helped me get into a position at Deutsche Oper Berlin. And, uh, and that was really amazing because you're really thrown into the repertoire system, this big German opera house, like you're speaking of, like your experience was also working in this big rep house where they're doing three performances of La Boheme in the season only, you know, and in the middle of everything else. And it's got to go up with one, one stage orchestra rehearsal and perhaps one orchestra rehearsal or not, you know, and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it, that was just really, I think it's a really good place to kind of um, work on your chops and just to, to really, um, you know, get some, get all this, beyond all this basic experience, you know, where you just have to get in and conduct magic flute one night, the next day for the, for the music director preparing, uh, you know, 
Valkyra or something and pre preparing all the ladies of Valkyra or something like that. And then the next day, oh, we have a concert we're preparing and I'm um, working with a librarian on all these, these Rachmaninoff parts or That's great you know, all, just endless things like that. But I know um, you, di you did Blut House, didn't you, of Haas and other new pieces, haven't you not? Yeah, sure. Uh, that was uh, the premiere of Georg Friedrich Haas's Blut House, which is, we did it in Bonn and we did it also in the Festspiel, uh, Schwetzigen Festspiele down near Mannheim. Yes, I mean, there's, that's what's been so great. And then the other part of the equation, like you mentioned, is working uh, my first season, I worked at uh, the NDR Symphony Orchestra in Hamburg because I had a great introduction there with Christoph Eschenbach as his assistant on a Mahler 8. And then we did uh, Unsuk Chin and uh, Kuchla, Charles Kuchla, all this uh, Lebanda log and, and Unsuk Chin's um, uh, Alice in Wonderland. It's I a mean, very good piece. And really cool things that, you know, just weren't possible quite in my career two years prior in New York City. NDR is the uh, Northern German Radio Orchestra. Norddeutsche Rundfunk Orchester, to be precise. So, richtig, ja. Ja, richtig, natürlich. So, it's good, I, ich habe ein Jahr in der Schweiz gearbeitet, nicht? So, <laughs> but I spent one year in, in Switzerland. In wait, any wait. event. In, on my end, you broke up for a second. Yeah, yeah. Well, ich habe ein Jahr in der Schweiz gearbeitet. Ja, verstehst du? Ich weiß, in welcher Haus war das? Zürich Opera. Oh, Zurich, yeah, yeah, A minor yeah. place. So in any event, listen, are you finding dealing with the orchestras as you guest with this radio orchestra and that symphony orchestra or the ballet or the opera houses? And a lot of these ballet and opera houses have incredible uh, house bands, like in Vienna when you conducted there. It was the Vienna Philharmonic, wasn't it? Basically? Yes, but I was an assistant at, at, there. I, I have not conducted yet the Vienna Philharmonic, but I've... I have uh, conducted the Tonkunstler Orchestra there many times. And also great, great the uh, Wiener, uh, Wiener Kammer Orchestra. Right. But so, do, you, do you find dealing with Fort Worth Symphony versus an orchestra in, uh, in Vienna or Berlin any different? Or people are people? Yeah, I think really people are people. It is... I, it's interesting. Uh, I mean... It helps to have, it just helps to have experience. I mean, I'm not 29, of course, I'm going on, I'm going on, I'm going to be 49 next year. And, uh, and I think it's, uh, you know, you just come to it with such a different experience after being with so many um, important orchestras, important orchestras and all kinds of orchestras, every level orchestra I've worked with in Europe, basically. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, and I, but one thing that's interesting about it, and I would say that here in, in Germany too, like for, for instance, last season I did a Bernstein Gala with the Rundfunk Symphony Orchestra Berlin here. And I think I've learned over the years, I used to in the beginning try to speak only in German, but I've learned over the years being an American that, and just, you know, just be myself, be friendly, be outgoing, um, not overly outgoing. You just be cool with the, with the orchestra, with the players, you know, do a good job, come in really well prepared, have something to say. Then it can work really, really well. And it does help to be an Auslander. It does help to be, you know, foreigner in our business, just like it does in the States in a lot of ways. I, I found that to be the same in, in, a, lot, in, in a sense. And, and I think often when I'm conducting an orchestra here in, in Germany or anywhere in Scandinavia or something, it, it I speak... Well, in Germany, I speak half in English, 
I speak and I talk about things. I make a little joke, a little quip. I speak in English. I say hello and I do, I do all the, uh, I just say hello and like we're going to begin it. Talk to numerous X, uh, talk to, talk numerous X, wonders, X and Zex. You know, I say, I say all the beginnings, starting places, the details, some of the specific details in German. And then I go mm -hmm. to explaining things in English and I can be myself. I have a personality. If I'm trying to do things in German, I have no person. I turn into a square box, you know? Uh. That's interesting. I mean, Lenny felt when he conducted the, the Vienna Philharmonic in the 60s, it was a different story. He had to speak German. Um, and he was, until I got to one point in the first rehearsal, he says, this is, you know, this is not, ask kein Mahler. And he says, this is not Mahler. And he finally came out with it. And then they all went, <laughs> but like, they all went like this because they hadn't done Mahler since Bruno Walter days in the early 50s after the war. And, you know, he said, I got to show them how to do it. I got to show them how to do it. So let's talk about Bernstein played by a Gershwin, by a, I'm sorry, a German orchestra. I think these days, no matter where, I think people get it. But there was a time where if you tried to do Ives of Gershwin or Bernstein with anything other than a United States or Canadian orchestra, people had difficulty. They couldn't get the swing of it. Do you think that's the case still? I have to be careful with my words here, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think, well, in Germany, there is a tradition to have big bands kind of playing off to the sides of orchestras. They, they do have a tradition, for instance, NDR, some, the NDR um, uh, radio up in Hamburg does have a big band orchestra, big band. They have a big band and so does VDR and so does, I think, SVR and lots of them. But, um, but yeah, for instance, I did this Bernstein, big Bernstein piece in the Staatsoper in Hamburg, and that orchestra is the Philharmonic Orchestra in Hamburg, and it's, it's a really fine orchestra. Kent Nagano's music director. I mean, the and we did a lot of things together there with the ballet, and and so we're doing this Bernstein um, dances this last couple seasons. And you know what I've noticed about Northern German orchestras, they kind of play brass plays things too long. So da 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 da, and it, I just had to tell them to shorten everything up. Da 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 You know, like short, quick, have fun with it. You know, and and if and you just tell them like that and sing it for them, and I find they come around. Yeah, so they can play. Sometimes they can play a little too heavy, you know, and too long. And no, I heard this from some conductors. Some conductors who were recording Ives, for example, in England. Um, in maybe the 60s and 70s, and it wasn't quite with the inflection. Now, I would say it is true, you know, to a certain extent, and lesser in, in the States as far as the inflection, the national inflection. For example, when I've heard Tchaikovsky played by a Russian orchestra, a very fine Russian orchestra, it has a feeling like nobody else can do it. You know, there's just a dig into those strings and they, they know how to articulate it and it's their folk and I think it comes from the folk music tradition which still has its place in all of our cultures not as much as it did but it still does I'm curious about now because it's something you and I have been thinking about where do you think art and music your kind of music performance music is going in this age of COVID, and where do you where would you hope it would go? What I think is great about it is I think a lot of us, I know we, we, you and I have talked about this a lot last few months. I mean, a lot of people had perhaps more time to think about it, to th focus on what they should be working on, what their goals should be, 
um, in terms of writing music, in terms of interpreting music, in terms of, terms of what kind of music they should be focused on or the kinds of projects they want to see um, come to life. And so that's what it's been for me is, is really refocusing myself and on what I want to be, uh, you know, what I want to be spending my time on and what I want to be focusing on, what I think I can make a difference in, what types of music I can make a difference in, you know? So uh, when it comes to what, that's a very good question. I mean, we, none of us really know what's going to happen in this next few years, but I do feel, I mean, I am, I am buoyed by recognition that here in Germany and in most of Europe, it looks like the season's going to begin in, the, in October. And end of September, October is when the season begins. Everything's going to be most, more or less knocked down in size, but the concert's going to happen. And That's so... Cool. Even opera? I do. Yeah. yeah. Like, There's already been... Deutsche Oper Berlin already had an opera, uh, opera performance a few weeks ago. That's amazing. Um, so what are, are, yeah. people coming, are people coming in with masks? Yeah, I mean, it's we've had masks have been the rule from the very beginning in any store and any um, any indoor public place. No, but unbalo in mascara in in mascara. See, there you go. <laughs> I'm just curious if you're going to go see unbalo in mascara. Are you you go you're going in mascara and is it a full house or the or are they separating? No, people? yeah, there. I mean, I was talking with the manager of the orchestra, the concert house orchestra, a few weeks ago because they had a big concert, outdoor concert, but with lots of space, um, they will separate, they will have, they have a, I don't remember how many seats exactly. I think there's 1,500 seats or so in the house and they can only sell 400 of them, he said. I see. So that will continue until there's a vaccine probably. I mean, I've been to La Scala. I don't know how economically they can pull us out off. I mean, La Scala is a very intimate place. Those boxes are right on top of each other. Gorgeous. And great acoustics. It's so different than the Metropolitan Opera, which is way too big. But sure. the houses in Europe are generally very intimate, and you're right on top. And then the singers are spewing out. You're talking about droplets and aerosols. Oh, my God. I don't know how it's going to be done with everything Well, I that's imagine, happening. yeah, that's a very good question. Um, but it's going to be done with space. It's going to be done with, it, with, with space and lots of adjustments and... And I don't know that every opera will be done. You know, I know, for instance, I'm, my season begins, uh, well, it was supposed to begin with a tour, an orchestra tour in September. It's, it's postponed until next season. But the, uh, I will go to the Finnish National Opera for a big new piece called Jekyll and Hyde. And it's a huge orchestra. And we've already been working around that. By, we have, they, have, they have such a fantastic numbers in, in Finland that uh, they only have like 398 deaths for this whole period. And... I think they're almost down to nothing in terms of cases. But so their hope is that we can use the full 85-piece orchestra in the pit. That's their first choice and first hope. And they think there's a good they, – they seem to – I think they think there's a 40%, 50% chance we'll do that. The second choice is we will have pre-recorded the entire piece so that um, they can um, broadcast all of it through the, um, through the uh, sound system. And the other choice is to do their smaller, several smaller um, ensemble pieces. So we'll, if that happens, we'll do the smaller ensemble things live, which is much more intimate, much more real and touching. And then the larger pieces will have to be broadcast. So, talking about the future, where where would you where do you want to be in five years? Ah, uh, uh, music director of my second orchestra. 
Well, that's what we're having two at the same time. Yeah, I mean, there's, I'm up for a couple of music directorships. That's a big, important part of my career. I mean, more important than even that is really, I think, uh, you know, I feel like it's been, it's been fantastic for me. I was always, I grew up more on the symphonic side a bit, but I was always a choral singer. So I, I uh, was very much wanting to learn the operatic side, but I wasn't really a serious pianist. I was a trombonist, a violist, and a choral singer. So uh, for me, I, I wanted to catch up on the operatic side and, and I worked calling titles at Houston Grand Opera and the Met Metropolitan Opera. And then I became associate conductor in New York City Opera. And then I started doing a lot of opera as well, regionally in the United States, which was a great experience for me and helped me come over here. And so in, my, in a way, I think, even though I wasn't a pianist, I always wanted to do things the old school way. You know, I wanted to really have the opera house experience. It was really important to me. And I think it's, I think it's actually uh, super important for, for conducting symphonic concerts. So I kind of feel like after doing all this opera house experience, which I of course want to continue with, now I can go back to my real roots, which was the symphonic repertoire where I grew up with the Houston Symphony Orchestra and Christoph Eschenbach. And this is a huge repertoire that I'm fascinated by, I love, I, I admire, and I, I want to be involved in all that. So, so yeah, that's so really the more important aspect for me than even becoming a music director is really to step more and more onto the concert circuit in Europe and in the States. One thing you do learn from opera, which I know as an opera composer and former co-repetitor, but and a co-repetitor my entire life with singers is breath. Yeah, and breath is so important in doing any music. The shaping of the phrase, the hesitancy between phrases and in chords, and the relationship of all of this, it teaches you so much. And you can see in the great op, in the great symphonic conductors. Most of them, except for Furtwängler, they all started in opera. Every single one, you know, Klemper and Toscanini and Walter and all these guys, Mahler. It all came out of their operatic training. I mean, Lenny came out of Broadway theater, and it never—it always means something to me that when you are studying any piece, if you sing the parts, you learn how to phrase them. It's just amazing coming from the voice. I want to talk to you about repertoire because I know that your repertoire is very, very wide in symphonic ballet and opera. No question about it. And choral music. Um, what pieces would you really like to do coming up? And what pieces have you done that you never want to look at again? Dead, <laughs> dead, dead composers for the second question. Uh, live composers for the first well, I think I'll answer the. F well, I think I'll answer the second one first, if you don't mind, because I have Not a funny all. quip about it. But I mean, it's it's funny piece to me. I, the Carmina Burana, you know, super famous piece. Everybody wants to do it. It's, a, it's always a knockout for the audience. Everybody loves it, you know. Um, but it's a piece I never liked. I don't really love the piece. I don't love I to listen with, to I, it. I, to it. I don't you. love to study it. Yeah, I, yep. I, I imagine. I'm with but, you. But then I was asked to jump in and do it in Munich a few years ago, and I right. just and I did it, and it was a complete blast. Yeah, you know, I had a ball. I had a ball with the with the chorus and the orchestra, and it's just it's poppy and fun and energetic, and it's you know I, I have found that another piece that reminds me of that uh, uh, Philip Glass Hero Symphony. I had to do that in Hanover Staatsoper a few years ago in the ballet. I'm not crazy about it, but I mean, it was fun at the time. You have to make, you know, it is important. And I tell all the 
every conductor, every musician is this is so important is that you have to make it everything you can. You have to put your heart and soul into everything you do. Otherwise it's just, it's just terrible when you don't, you know, you have to, you have to make it come to life, you know, every, every piece. Um, pieces, pieces I w I'm just dying to do. You mean? Yes. Oh, there's a lot, but, um, well, one piece I'm really thrilled about it. It's on the schedule. I don't know if it's going to happen. It's Poulenc's Gloria. It's a fantastic, fantastic, beautiful piece. I, I conducted and another piece I really want to do again is the Poulenc uh, um, Dialogues of the Carmelites. I conducted that if, several years ago. It's just you, amazing you music. You mentioned the glory of Poulenc, you're saying, yes? Yeah. Okay. That's I love that piece. And then Dialogues of the Carmelites I want to come back to. I mean... One, I, I, you know, I studied a lot of Wagner, Wagner's operas, as you know, we spoke a lot about that. Yes. Um, I am very interested in conducting some of those pieces in the future. I, I mean, I conducted uh, Fliegende Hollander a few years ago, but I'm, Tristan is a fascinating piece to me. Um, but, then, but then there's really so many great pieces that you don't even have to do all those things. I mean, there's there Chichester Psalms I'm crazy about, you know, I love that piece. Um, the song fest I'm working on now to pre present in September here in Berlin. I'm learning that right now. It's a wonderful piece. So many wonderful po poems. Both by <sighs> Bernstein. Yeah. I have to tell some of our listeners who don't know those. Sure. Pieces. Sure. I remember both of them very well in the circumstances of them. Um, I'm curious about also something that you're, you've been thinking about is American music and the presentation of it in Europe right now. Where are you going with that? What are you thinking about? I'm always amazed how much American music is performed in Europe. It's, there's a lot. They do a lot. And um, I mean, they mostly do the top most famous five or six composers, I must say. So, I mean, you mostly hear Bernstein, John Adams, Philip Glass, Copeland, and maybe Barber, you know? So, but there are a lot of other things you do here, bits and pieces of too. So, um, but every season, the major, I would say every major opera house in Europe, every three or four seasons does an American piece. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, when I was at the Royal Swedish Opera, they were doing Candide, right? When I was, uh, right when we canceled everything there. Um, so there's a, there's a lot being done. I mean, it's amazing. And so being an American here, I've automatically been, thought of as somebody to ask to do that and then um and so i've done you know three or four symphonic engagements a season mostly focused on american music for the last three or four years and and occasionally an, an opera or ballet or something like this so i and well what i think is amazing about it is that what i mean i'm an american guy I'm from houston texas and spent my a lot of my early years in new york when I go to an orchestra and I speak to them about how to, and I sing for them how to play Copeland or how to play John Adams or how to play, you know, your music, it sounds legitimate. It, I, I speak the right way about it, you know? It's it, important. Uh, yeah, and I can sing it the it. correct way and I can get them to play it with the right articulation or the lightness right. or whatever it is, the transparency. And I think that really comes across and they, uh, they, I've what I've so that's what it is as you and I've spoken about many times is that uh, in the last three months is I I kind of recognize and it's been fantastic for me this 
I mean, it's been a really terrible time in the world. And I know it's been a tough one for you this a few months ago, two months, two and a half months ago. Um, and I, and I've lost a few friends to COVID-19 already, um, back home. I think, um, but for me, the, the free time I've had and the forced free time, um, was amazing because it made me recognize that, oh yeah, Garrett, you know, and in your career as a conductor or as a, or as a violinist or as a pianist or whatever, the, everybody says, well, you need to focus on something. What is your focus? And for me, it was for a while, I was like, well, I really love Haydn. I love Mozart. I really can do that well. I know I have a great sense. I think I have a, I think I have a pretty good sense for how to, those articulations work and that phrasing works and a lot of buoyancy and, and I can, and I, and I love that. So, that was one thing I was saying, or Russian music. I did a lot of Rachmaninoff symphonies and Tchaikovsky and all those things. But it, when I recognized these last three months is that, oh yeah, but American music, I already am asked for. I love it. I, I'm passionate about it. I know a lot of you guys back in the States that are alive, writing music right now. And so it just to. makes more sense for me to, <laughs> makes, makes, makes complete sense. It aligns with me straight through my body straight through my feet to the floor, you know, that I should be focused on American music. And, you know, in my 60s and 70s, I, yeah, I want to be the guy that's asked to, to conduct Copeland's Third Symphony or to, you know, to do Chichester Psalms or to do um, your Archangel, you know, all these things. I want to be somebody that gets to do those things. And if I'm not working on that now, I'm working on my glide slope, you know. Uh, well, let's happen. just hope. Let's just hope I can hear Archangel before I meet the Archangel. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, I think you I want to talk to you about phrasing and something that I've noticed in conductors, and I, I ask this of other conductors as well, and I ask it of myself. As a conductor, and I've done a lot of the standard rep, as you know, I think there are certain music I can do very well because it's innate, and then there's certain music, a smaller percentage, but some things I just cannot do because I don't have an, an emotional response to it. For example, I would never ever want to conduct or understand or get anywhere near a Bruckner symphony. It is just not for me. Okay. Aaron Copeland hated Sibelius. He said he'd rather watch paint dry. I mean, there are some composers who we are not fitted for. To use a very famous example, Toscanini, greatest conductor of Verdi and, and wonderful conductor of Wagner, great conductor of Beethoven and some of Brahms. However, not Mozart, man. That 40th symphony. Oh, oh my yeah, God. Sure. So are there composers? I think your Stravinsky and Strauss are exceptional. Richard Strauss. There's something in you that responds to both of them, and they're polar opposites. Can you talk to your, about yourself in this circumstance? Yeah, I mean, well, that's a good question. I, you wonder how that stuff comes up in your mind and how that comes through your body and how that actually works. You know, in high school, I remember I was in the band. I was a trombone player in the band in Houston, Texas. So I, I didn't really. My mother played orchestral music often on the on the. Um, I, I think it's something innate, and this is a very interesting subject. As one of our final discussions of this beautiful talk together is that there are certain things that I think are innately there, and there are certain things that are not. And if you, I think one thing in recognizing one's powers is to recognize, you know, conductors want to do everything. It's a gig. I've got to make money. But sometimes when you get to, you know, choose your repertoire and not be chosen for it, 
one can start to analyze, you know what? I can really get around Ariana of Naxos like you did in Virginia Opera. Man, you understood it. And those, oh, the legati you got and the way you had the singers floating out of your hands. It was just, and the, the instrumentalist with you, it was something to, to hear. But then you can conduct Dumbarton Oaks. I can't believe that. You know, think of the, of the variety there. It's remarkable. But yeah, you know, well, thank you. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know if you're there yet in figuring out. Well, at your age, are there certain people I want to just stay away from? I, I'm not asking you to, to name them yet because who knows? You might get hired for it next week. Oh well, I mean, there are <laughs> things. Of course, there are things. Sure, sure. I think I recognize that already. I'm not sure if I have one on the tip of my tongue, but yes, there are, and I found them before. And certainly, well, I, there are I, pieces. I, I, yeah. yeah, something that's very disjunct and doesn't come to the human heart, I think, is a problem for Garrett Keyes because I think you are a very warm human being and that you like to see human connection in everything you do. So my final question to you is human connection and hope in this time of COVID-19, you know, like Gabriel Marque uh, Marquez says, in the time of cholera, so we're in the time of COVID. Um you have to protect your family for, first and foremost, no question. And spreading out from there is now you're going to be your life going all over. But you've been home now probably for the first time for a long period of time, in a long time. How's that human contrast been? And what are your hopes for your wonderful wife and those two little boys? Ah. Uh. Well, you're right. It's been amazing. And it's this, I mean, we've been here since March 17 or 18. We got back from Sweden. Um, it's been really, it has been really great. Uh, tonight, I'm not there putting the boys down. They're going to down, down right now, basically. Because here we are speaking, it's like, I don't know what time it is. I'm 2.30 or something. It's 8.30 in the evening here. And um, so, and I, sometimes I hear a little note back from my wife. Oh, Oliver had a tear tonight. He was really missing you when you weren't there. But um but often, of course, I'm gone for two weeks at a time or a week at a time or three weeks at a time. Every, every single variety I'm gone for a period of time. Yeah. And, um, and uh, so it's been amazing in that way that we've had all this family time. And, and, it's, and, and I do feel really lucky and pleased to be here in Germany where things are going really well and it's taken care of quite well. But um, Ah, when it comes to music and people and the reasons why we do this and the, you know, I, I always find that amazing to me because I mean, like you're like, you're very kind to say, I love people. I, I love being in a room with people. I, I, I love the music too. I can sit in a room and listen to recordings all day long, but when it comes to conducting somehow for me, I, I mean, I, I always was interested in, of course, leadership in some way, but it was, but music is, for me, the most interesting way to be involved with people. And I, I just love trying to get the most out of a group and work with people and, and smile while I'm conducting when it's a moment to and, and yeah. enjoy the process and collaborate, you know, to really collaborate with people. And that's, that's what it's all about. I mean, it's, it's nothing, there's nothing better than that, you know. It's, it's not about um, conducting every possible performance of Brahms symphonies you can it's about connecting and it's about making music it's about it's just about being like a chamber musician just like I think it is playing chamber music in any kind of group yeah I think so so my brother from another mother dear Garrett Keist conductor fabulous musician 
Thank you for being on Interplay, Conversations and Music. It's been wonderful to see you. And yes, we did meet through music, and we will be together in music forever. Thanks, Garrett, for being on the show. Thank you so much, Michael. been really, really fun. Great to see you. Great to see you. This has been Garrett Keyes, conductor, originally from Texas, now in Berlin, Germany, conducting all over the world. This is Michael Shapiro, your host on Interplay Conversations and Music.